We began a few weeks ago talking to you on this subject of beginning well and finishing strong. So we want to continue that today. So would you take your Bibles, go to the book of Luke, the 14th chapter. And as you're turning there, I want to greet all of our campuses today and say we're glad you're with us. I'm excited about what God is doing in each and every local campus. And we're also excited to be able to come today to preach to you the Word of God. So I want you to get ready wherever you are and you're listening to this today. Get ready to receive what God has for you and for your life today. The book of Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning in verse number 28, says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not count, or nor does not sit down and first count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and he is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, we've been talking on this subject of beginning well and finishing strong. And each week we've been looking at the life of uh, the Old Testament man, Nehemiah. And so if you want to turn to that Old Testament book of Nehemiah, we'll get there in just a few moments. But as we have been looking at this, each week we've, we've been focusing on a different word. Uh, the, the first week uh, we begin to talk about the word positioning. How there in the book of Nehemiah, the first chapter, that the Bible says that Nehemiah said, he said, I was a cupbearer to the king. In other words, I was a slave. I was hanging out uh, in the palace, but I was really a nobody. But what he is saying is that even though I was a nobody, that I found myself in the right position. I found myself in the right place to be able to make a difference. And so you have got to position yourself. It doesn't matter how great your dream is, if you are not in the position you need to be, you're not going to fulfill your destiny. Then the second week, we talked about planning, how that over the next few verses there in chapter 1 and 2, that we see that Nehemiah spends four months in planning before he tells anybody about what he feels like God has called him to do. He takes time to plan. And I want to tell you, planning is very important. Planning is one of those things that if you don't do it, you're going to find yourself not finishing strong. You're not really going to find yourself at the end of the process, whether it's in your family life or whether it's in your walk with God or whether it's in something maybe in the business world, whatever it is, that you are really not going to find yourself uh, finishing in the way that you want to finish. And then last week we talked on this subject of pursuing, how that Nehemiah went before the king, he told the king what he needed, but then he had to be willing to pursue the dream. How many of you know people who talk a good game but never do anything about it, right? <laughs> They've got great ideas, great plans, but they never pursue what it is that they need to do in life. And, and so I want to encourage you uh, to, to begin to pursue the destiny, to pursue the things that God has for you uh, to go forward and to fulfill those things that God has for you. Now, the word today, here's the word. Get ready. The word today is the word persevering. It, it means just hanging in there persevering. It's just, it's just doing uh, what you're supposed to do even when it's not any fun. And the book of Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, if you want to look there today, uh, b begins to kind of lay out. The first three verses lays out some interesting circumstances. Now, they've been building on the wall. Things have been happening. Uh, Nehemiah's been there for almost a month, and, and they begin to see really good things take place. But then the Scripture says there in the first couple of three verses of chapter 4 that Sanballat, uh, 
heard about it. Now, Sanballat is a guy who's not happy that Nehemiah's come to town. And the scripture says that he's furious and that he's very indignant about what's going on. And he begins to mock them. He begins to make fun of them. And, and then the Bible says, and he spoke to his brethren. Now, how many of you have ever noticed that people who are discontent and disgruntled are not willing to be discontented and disgruntled by themselves? Have you ever found that to be true? I mean, if, if, if they're negative about something, they're going to tell everybody they know, right? They tell us, social scientists who study this tell us that if you have a good experience at a restaurant, that you will tell one to two other people. But if you have a negative experience, you will tell seven people. Some of you are on Facebook and you tell 7,000 people about your experience. Isn't it interesting how that negativism has a tendency to be spread so much quicker than that which is positive? And so, so Nehemiah is facing that. And he's asking, you know, 10 ballots saying, are they going to fortify themselves? Are they going to sacrifice? Are they going to complete it in a day? He goes through this whole process. And, and then he begins to make fun of, of them standing uh, in the place there and building the stone wall. All of these things he's doing uh, just to make fun of them. And even goes so far as, as to say, if even a little fox, a little animal hits that wall, it's going to come down. How many of you know what he's trying to do is discourage them? Now, let me tell you something. Anytime you begin to do something that's going to make a difference, you will have critics and you will have setbacks. Amen. I mean, it doesn't matter. If you want to have a great family, some people are going to question, well, I, I, you know, I don't know why they do that. Right? Well, why, why do they act that way? Why, why can their kids not do what the other kids? And they, there, there's always a critic in the crowd. There's always somebody uh, who's critical. And another thing that you'll find is you'll find yourself having a setback or two. You'll, you, you won't just have the vision and, and get there. There'll be all kind of things that will go on in your life. And so Nehemiah is kind of at that moment. It's 26 days into building the wall, and, he, and he's having this moment uh, where he is now beginning to understand, man, everybody's not for me. Everybody doesn't like it. Let me, let me just help you real quickly. How, how many of you know that as Christians, a lot of times, we are real quick to weep with those who weep, right? And the Bible tells us to do that. But what I found out about Christians is, is that we're not very good at rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. I mean, if somebody loses everything, we can weep with them. But if they get a brand new house and a brand new car, we get jealous. We begin to say, well, you know, I guess they're stealing from the church. I guess they're, you know, not paying their tithes. I guess, you know, they must be. And, and, and instead of rejoicing with what's going on in their life. And that's kind of what's happening in this story. Now, now, let me tell you something about this. Any vision that you have, and we talked a lot about vision last week, any vision worth pursuing will demand sacrifice and risk. It will cost you something to do something great. You will have to risk a lot of things in life. You, you will have to be willing, as the apostle Peter was when he said, Lord, if that's you, tell me, come. Now, that sounded good when he was sitting in the middle of the boat. But when the Lord said, come, he, he, right? 
He had to get out of the boat and start walking. And so that, that's kind of the process is that you've got to be willing to risk in the process here. Now, would you look there in verse 4 and 5? I, I want to kind of dig into this a little bit and kind of unpack some of this uh, today. Verse 4 and 5, um, Nehemiah now begins to pray. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. I love this prayer. No, come on. Have you not ever had somebody in your life you just wanted to pray something bad on them? I mean, there's just been times that people in my life, I just wanted to say, I want to be like David. God, kill them. Just take them out. Then I get feeling convicted. I say, well, Lord, don't kill them, but just make them really sick and make them think they're going to die. Right? I mean, this this is a pretty intense prayer he's praying here. And then he goes on to say, verse 5, don't cover up their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. I mean, this is intense. But watch what's happening here. As he is praying, what is beginning to happen is, now he, let, me, let me explain something about criticism. Criticism in your life about anything saps your strength. Let, let me prove it to you. Ladies, you have gone and you have bought a beautiful dress. It was just the right thing for you. It was wonderful. Your husband even commented how great it looked on you. Right? And, and you, get, you wear it somewhere, maybe you wear it to church, and you, you have so many people make positive comments about it, but somebody will say, you know, that's really not your color. <laughs> and every time you go to the closet and you see that dress, your first thought is, that's really not my color. Why? Because that criticism saps you. And so what's happening here is not only is Nehemiah being sapped, but literally the entire nation of Israel is being sapped of strength. And and so what Nehemiah does is that he begins to pray. Now, here's why he prays, and I'll give you the first aspect here that we're going to talk about today, is is that if, if you really want to persevere and to move forward, number one is you've got to sometimes be re-energized, all right? And what prayer does is that prayer re-energizes you. It, it gets you to that place where, where you're not at that point of, of really focusing on everything else that's happening. Now, now, watch this. Nehemiah's first response was to pray. He didn't call everybody around him and say, hey, let me tell you, these guys are making fun of us and they're talking about us. And No, no, no. The first thing that he does is that he begins to seek God. I wonder what would happen if in our lives when we get criticized, when we have people who don't like what we're doing but we know it's what God's called us to do, instead of us running around telling everybody else, what would happen if we would begin to seek God? If we would begin to pray, if we would begin to go after what God has. See, here's what you've got to do. You've got to learn to take everything to God. Everything in your life, everything that you're facing, everything that you are up against, you have got to take it to God. Now, here's the deal. Watch, Watch what he does. This is so good, and you don't need to miss this. He did not allow the obstacles to become his focus. He took the obstacles to the Lord and said, Lord, you deal with it. Lord, you understand what they're saying, what they're speaking. Now, Lord, I I need to be re-energized, so I'm just going to give this junk to you. 
What would happen to us if we'd really just take the negative stuff and give it to God? You know, you're you're trying to get your family in order. You're trying to bring things together. And all of a sudden, the negative things begin to happen. And nobody's getting along. And and, and the kids aren't acting right. And instead of just spending all of your time stewing, you you just say, wait a minute. Time for a prayer break. Time time for a little intercession here. Time, time, y'all just handle it there. I'm going back here. I'm going to find a place where me and Jesus are going to hang out, and I'm going to lay this at his feet, and I'm going to leave it. That, that's, that's what Nehemiah does. See, here's what prayer does is prayer puts criticism in its proper place. It, it just kind of, all of a sudden, instead of it being way up here, it goes, why? Because when you understand that the only person you have to please is the Lord Jesus Christ, life gets a whole lot simpler. I've learned through the years that there is no way I can please everybody. But if I go home at night and I lay down and I look back through my day and I have pleased the Lord, then that's all that I have to please. And he is the only one that really matters anyway. And, and so Nehemiah is, is dealing with this. Uh, you, you know, the, the Scripture talks about, it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They're going to mount up with wings as eagles. They're going to run and not be weary. They're going to walk and not faint. And the old song says, Lord, teach us to wait. There, there's got to come that thing inside of us that, that it's not about doing it in my own strength. But, Lord, I need to be re-energized. I've got this idea. I've got this focus. I've got this thing that I believe that you're calling me to do. But, Lord, right now the criticism's pretty high. Everybody around me, even family members, don't understand what I've been called to do. God, I'm pursuing this degree, and it seems like it just gets even further away. But, God, I know that you call me to do this, and so I'm not going to stop. I just need to wait on the Lord, and in that moment, you can re-energize me, and you can bring me back to that place where now I see again what you've called me to do. And, and, and so you, you, you begin, you go to the Lord. You just take it to him. And sometimes you just take all the negative stuff. The king got the negative report that he was going to be wiped out, the king of Israel. And the Bible said that he went into the house of the Lord and he took the letter and he just laid it down before the Lord and said, God, you read this. All right? I mean, I've done, some of you will find this a little ironic, but I've done that in here. I've gotten emails. I've gotten, you know, some stuff. And, and, and I've walked in here at times just laid it right there. And just start walking around praying and say, Jesus, you read that. You, you deal with that. I, 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 I'm, I'm too busy. You know, I'm like Nehemiah. I'm on the wall and I'm not coming down. Now, Lord, you read what they said and you just, you handle it. Amen. And first one of my prayer was, Lord, break their teeth and, you know, all the stuff that David prayed. But I'll get through that part. And I, then I'll start blessing them because the Lord says, bless those, you know, who despitefully use you. And, 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 and when I get there, then I, I understand that now I'm being re-energized and ready to receive what God has. Look, look in verse 10. Uh, the, verse 10, he, he, he goes on because we've we got to get this. He says, then Judah said, now this is a whole tribe of, of the nation of Israel. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborer is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said that, that we'll neither know or see them until they come, and, and the work season, they're going to kill us. I'm just paraphrasing. Verse 12, it says, so when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us, 
ten times. I mean, it's bad to be told once we're going to kill you. Ten times. From whatever place you turn, they're going to be upon you. Now, watch what Nehemiah does. Look in verse 13. Look at that first word, therefore. I love a good therefore. They're saying all this stuff, all these negative things. And so Nehemiah just shows up and says, therefore. I'm going to do something here. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to sometimes regroup. Not only do you have to get re-energized, sometimes you've got to regroup and, and start all over. It's, it's like Nehemiah said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull everybody together. We're going to set you according to your family. We're going to put you out there with a sword or with a spear or with a bow and arrow, and, and you're going to be ready. If they come against you, you, you we're going to be ready. Now, let me explain something to you about the process of reaching your destiny. You've got to be willing to make adjustments as needed. You, you get this idea, and you say, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And you start doing it, and all of a sudden, things don't go the way you think they ought to. I mean, you say, I believe God told me to homeschool. Hallelujah. And then it was fun until the kids showed up. And if you're not careful now, if God said it, then you need to do it. Now, I'm not against public school. My kids have been homeschooled and went to public school, a whole business, so I, I, I can go either way you want to go on this, all right? But, but here's the If God called you to do it, sometimes you just got to regroup. You, you've just got to step back and say, wait a minute, this is the plan that I know God had for us. Now, how do we make it all come together? See, what, what you've got to do is don't confuse your plan with God's vision. We get this vision, and then we lay the plan out, but sometimes the plan is for a season. Sometimes the plan just goes so far, and then God says, okay, now it's time to regroup. Now it's time to take them in, put some at the lower part of the wall, give some bows and arrows, give some spears, give some swords, put them with their families, but regroup and get ready to see what I'm going to do. Look at verse 14. He said, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Now, let me, can, can I kind of talk to you a second? Nehemiah is not somebody who's been trained to be a leader. Nehemiah is not a great man of war. Nehemiah has spent his entire life being a slave. And yet, when God spoke to him, all of a sudden, even though he had been a captive his entire life, when he got a vision for what God had told him to do, it did not matter that his life had been spent in slavery. All of a sudden, he arises to the occasion, and he begins to call people to do great and powerful things. Let, let me talk to you a second. Do not use your background as an excuse or a reason not to fulfill the dream and the destiny that God has called you to do. 
well, if I had been born this race, or if I had been born this gender, or if I'd been born in this family, or if I'd had this education, wait a minute, it's time that we laid all of that stuff aside. If God can take a slave and use him to rebuild the walls, then he can take you and I, and he can anoint us with his spirit and his power, and we can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in us. Now, now here's what you got. Here's what he's doing, and I'll, I'll give you the third thing. He's refocusing. He, he gets them here, and he says, I, I understand all this stuff. You're talking about trouble. But he said, now here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to fight for your brothers. I want you to fight for your sisters. I want you to fight for your sons and your daughters. All of a sudden, he's making it personal. Why are we building this wall? Why are we doing this great thing, Nehemiah? Why have you called us? You are doing it not for you, but you are doing it for your family. You are doing it for your descendants. You are doing it for those who are coming after you. See, there are a lot of us who sit here today that we think it's all about us. We think that living for God is about what we do and how we live. I want to tell you, it's not about us. It's about generations even yet unborn that God is going to raise up if we will only be faithful to do what God has called us to do. So we've got to learn to focus on God's faithfulness. We've got to get to that place that we're looking at what he's bringing about. See, it's kind of like a car. How many of you have ever had to take your car in to be realigned? You can buy a brand new car, and in a few months, you've got to take it back to the dealer or back to a mechanic, and, and you've got to realign it. Why, why do we have to realign it? Here, here's what causes the need for realignment. Time and bumps. Got it? In your life, you're walking with God. You're fulfilling the vision. You're doing what God's called you to do. But as time goes by and a few little bumps, all of a sudden, it's like, man, I'm veering to the left. I don't even know where the vision is anymore. And so you've got to come back to that, that refocusing, that realigning that God can do. You, you've got to understand. Here, here's one of the keys, and I'll just drop this. I won't spend time with it. But, but you need to understand the difference between urgent and important. Too many of us spend way too much time on urgent things and not enough time on important things. Urgent is you've got a deadline at work. Important is your kids playing basketball tonight. Oh, you didn't hear me. Urgent is you got a flat tire. Important is it's time to go pray. Paul, watch Paul said. Paul said, this one thing I do. Paul understood importance over urgence. One thing. He said, I'm focusing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that place. And that's what's got to happen to us is that we've got to get to that place of refocusing, allowing God to refocus us and bring us back into alignment with what he's called us to do. Now, the great part of that is, is that if we will do all this, if you'll look in, in the sixth chapter, uh, the, the 15th verse begins this. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of a law in 52 days. Now, think about this. The walls had been destroyed for years. Nehemiah shows up, and in 52 days, he changes the history and the destiny of the Jewish people. And he said, and when it happened, I love this, and when it happened, when all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. 
I, I want to tell you, when you accomplish the thing that God is calling you to do in this season of your life, if it's really of God, I want to tell you, people around you are going to begin to say, look what God has done. Look what is taking place in their life. See, the, the fourth thing in this whole process today of persevering is the word reward. People say, I, I don't believe in reward. Oh, yes, you do. You work for a reward all week long. Now, you call it a paycheck. But if they don't give you one at the end of the week, you might go two weeks. Maybe you might let them hang you out for three weeks. But about that fourth week, you're out of there. Why? Because you're working for a reward. God has wired us. He's hardwired you to respond to reward. In fact, he even says that part of the joy of heaven is going to be a reward. I mean, that, that's how we work. That's how we live. And so Nehemiah now receives the reward. The Scripture says it this way. If you're faithful in the little things, God will make you ruler over much. What are the little things? Prayer, fasting, studying of the Word, being faithful to the house of God, bringing my offerings and my tithes. And all, all, the, the Lord says, if you'll be faithful in the little things, I'll make you ruler over much. See, I, here's what I believe. I believe today that God has spoken to each and every one of us, to each and every person who is listening today. I believe God has spoken to you something that he's called you to do. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's in, quote, unquote, the kingdom of God. It's in, in ministry aspect. Maybe it's in the business world. Where, wherever it is, God has spoken to you to do something and yet sometimes our problem is, is that because of the bumps, because of the journey, because of the difficulties, we find ourselves not fulfilling what God's called us to do. We find ourselves not really persevering, not really going to the end like we ought to. But what we need to understand today is this, is that as God has called you, he has given you the ability to fulfill the destiny that he's called you into. And there's nothing today that can stop you from reaching that which God has called you to. There's nothing that the enemy can do. The Bible says if God is for you, who? can be against you. If God's on your side, if God is there in your life, then who can be against you? And as you begin to understand that, you begin to live a life of perseverance. You begin to live a life of faith and obedience. As I was looking at this whole process and as I begin to think about the aspect of persevering, what I found was is that in all of our lives, we have people that we look at as heroes of perseverance. I can remember through the years that I've had different people in my life that persevered, that have impacted and made a difference. I remember years ago when I first went into the ministry, I 
was serving with Pastor Luther. He was the senior pastor. And, and one day I was in, of all places, El Chico's restaurant. And I met Dr. Adrian Rogers. And, and I was a nobody. I was a young kid. But I remember I'm, I saw Dr. Rogers on numerous occasions after that. And he always remembered my name. And he always asked me how things were going. And, and I want to tell you, Dr. Rogers was a hero of mine because I watched his life and I watched what he did at Bellevue Baptist Church. And I watched how he persevered to the end of his life and how he made a difference. And even still to this day, you can still find love worth finding. And you can still listen to Dr. Rogers all these years after he's gone to his reward. You know, I, Dr. Charles Stanley's another one. I guess I should have been a Baptist. <laughs> Dr. Charles Stanley's another one. I met him a few years ago on, on a cruise, and, and uh, I've, I've just watched his life. I've watched the bumps of life, but I've watched him just persevere. Pastor L.H. Hardwick has been in my life, my whole life, and I've watched a man who pastored the same church for 60 years who's just been faithful, turning 80 in just a few days, but he's just faithful. And, and all of those men have been heroes of mine. But as I got to thinking about it, I think my, one of my biggest heroes is somebody that I don't talk about much, but it's my own mom. Because I've watched her life for 53 years. My mom got married when she was 16 years of age. I don't recommend that. <laughs> Within just a few years, she had her first child. When she was in her early 20s, my father decided that God had called him to go into ministry. And my dad actually pastored in South Jackson, his very first church, a place called Perry Switch. Any of you know where that is? And then a few years after that, a couple of years after that, my, my father decided that God had called him to go to the mission field. My mom wasn't called, but my dad was called. My mom packed it up. They got on a boat in New Orleans, Louisiana, and for the next month and a half, traveled on an old ship, arrived in Liberia, West Africa, trekked back into the jungles, lived in a mud hut. My mom cooked over a wood stove. During that process of time, yes, here I am. And even during that, my mom had such complications after my birth that she had to come back to the U.S. and have surgery, and yet she continued to do what God had called her to do. Yet it wasn't her vision. It was my dad's vision. A few years after that, my dad decided to come back to the States, and he said, God's called me to pastor in Henderson, Tennessee. So they moved to Henderson, Tennessee. A year and a half later, my dad said, God's called me to Savannah, Tennessee. My mom packed up again, moved to Savannah, Tennessee. Five and a half years later, I still remember sitting at the dinner table and my dad looking and saying, God's called me to go to Kenya. I never heard my mom say she was called to go. But my mom once again packed up, put everything on hold, and we went to Kenya. 
almost a year later, there's a knock on our door. There's an Assembly of God missionary named Brother Kirby who's standing there, and when my mom opens the door, my mom's first words to him was, Brother Kirby, you look like you've come with a death message. He dropped his head, and he said, I have. He said, the men have been in an accident, and your husband is dead. My mom packed up again. We came back to the States. I never once heard her complain. I'm sure she had her moments. I had my moments. I was a teenager. I can remember coming in sometimes late at night after doing God only knows what and hearing my mom praying, seeking God, persevering. I've watched her go through bumps. I've watched her go through valleys. She's in her 70s. She'd love for me to say that. She's still living for God. A few months ago, she buried her daughter, 59 years of age. She's still persevering. She's still living for God. And so I stand here today, and Larry and I were talking yesterday, and he said, Pastor, have you ever thought that this whole thing about the campus in South Jackson is a fulfillment of the dreams that your father started with in the 50s. And that the reason that God had laid that so strongly on your heart was not so that you could fulfill something for you, but so that genuinely, almost 60 years later, fulfilling a dream and a destiny of people who persevered. My father persevered and gave his life. My mom persevered and lived her life. But it wasn't about them. It was about the people that they would impact for Jesus Christ. There are some of you today that God's speaking to. There are some of you who are listening to me that God's speaking to. You've laid it down. You've given up. You've said it's too hard. The burden is too tough. I can't do it anymore. I want to tell you, you're not doing it just for you. You're doing it for grandchildren. You're doing it for generations that if the Lord does not return, it's going to be born after you're dead and gone. It's going to be able to look back and say, my great-grandma, my great-great-grandfather lived for God. And because of what they did, in fact, there are those of you who are sitting here today that the only reason that you're saved and sane is because somebody persevered. Somebody continued to walk with God and carry the dream.